Hi, I'm Randy Heckman. Welcome to the Grand Awakening Podcast. Our heart here is to do all that we can to incline the heart of our Sovereign Lord to pour out His Spirit and power, reviving His church here in West Michigan, in our state, and in our nation, leading to a great spiritual awakening, all for His glory. But first, it's critical that we listen to what God is saying to us and that we quickly and cheerfully respond to God's instructions in humble obedience. Well, on this podcast, we're going to talk with Pastor Simon Guevara, who helps lead a church in the Hinsdale suburb of Chicago. Well, this is a real pleasure for me. I I love doing this particular job of interviewing people, but this is particularly special because I get to interview someone that I am quite familiar with, Pastor Simon Guevara. But full disclosure, from the front end, we are related (laughs) <laughs> and this is how we're related, is that his wife is our third-born daughter, Alicia. And uh, they have five of the some of the greatest grandkids that I, I could ever imagine uh, born to them. They're my grandkids, his children, their children. So welcome, Simon. So glad you're joining us. Yeah, thank you, Randy. And uh, thank you for having seven daughters, because it gave me at least one shot. One <laughs> out of seven. I think I took the pick of the litter, but that's... That's, of course, always up for argument. But, well, yeah. let, let me give a little intro of who you are. Yeah. Um, you didn't start out this way, and you're going to be talking about that. You started out far afield from where you currently are, but you're now an ordained pastor serving in Hinsdale, Illinois. It's a very posh suburb of Chicago. Um, you've came to Christ. You're going to talk about that's the exciting story. Uh, a little yeah. bit later in life, you were not raised Christian in a Christian family. And uh, it's going to be fun to hear, but uh, you went to Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, graduated there. You've pastored mm-hmm. churches in Michigan, Texas, and now in Illinois. And we know you have a heart for evangelism, and uh, you love the Lord. And you're just mm-hmm. full of energy and, and wow. uh, creativity, and it's so, I'm so proud to be your brother in Christ and also related to you through our dear daughter, Alicia. So welcome again. Yeah, yeah. yeah thanks. I got a yeah, great wife and an and a awesome father-in-law to boot, so I, you, you're kind of the bonus. Oh, well, I love that. that. You're so kind. <laughs> Come on. But yeah. let's, let's talk, let, before we get in, you know, our basic theme is, you know, what is God saying to the church here in America? And we're going to get to that, but I think it's really interesting. Your story is just fascinating. Yeah, you uh, you weren't a follower of Christ for much of your early life. Why don't you tell that story? Would you, Simon? Yeah, yeah, and I uh, I would say that yeah, my experience is uh, you know begins in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, we were uh, a very poor growing up, and the reason was that my grandfather was a migrant farmer. He was kind of running back and forth with the crops. Uh, and this is back in like the 50s. Um, and he was dragging his family along with him. You would know about this, a growing family. He ultimately had nine children. Wow. And I think there was probably a season where they were bringing them back and forth, you know, again, stopping along the way to pick the crops and heading back down south again. And I know at some point that was just exhausting. I mean, as you'd imagine it was. And he heard about opportunities in West Michigan and factories. And he got a humble, you know, kind of start job at a, a, a factory in Grand Rapids. Uh, was the first... Um, 
Hispanic Latino to buy a home in a in a neighborhood uh, at the time it was kind of German working class in the southwest side. Hmm. Uh, and then we started there. The neighborhood transitions over the decades pretty quickly. I think all the Germans moved out and all the Hispanics moved in. Okay. Uh, and with that came a lot of a lot of poverty. Honestly, hmm. there was it was really first generation kind of toughing it out with pretty you know meager kind of uh, work. Um, and then on top of that was some family strife. My dad. My mom, uh, I'm the youngest of five, but there's a lot of space between us because there was a lot of space in their relationship. Uh, so I'm the youngest of them, uh, but dad wasn't around when I was growing up. Um, and uh, that, yeah, I was, like I said, I would say culturally religious, you know, at some point, but certainly not, you know, uh, uh, understanding of God and, and grace and Jesus. It was just mm-hmm. kind of some statues right. and yeah. maybe going to church education. Yeah. So that's how I started. Yeah. Um, and and how I came to Christ uh, from that much later in life is a pretty extraordinary story. Yeah, I think it's a great story. Let's go with it. You were working at a TV station even, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, coming out of the city, you know, I, I really had purposed in my life early on. I feel like God, in assuming that was him, and I didn't know it at the time, sure. had placed this kind of thought in my heart about not wanting to just be another person from the neighborhood, kind of a statistic. You know, as I looked around at a pretty young age, I was like, all right, if you're about 14, 15, you know, you're and, and a guy, you usually you get a girl pregnant, uh, you live in the neighborhood, you just kind of drop out of school, you might sell, you know, drugs on the corner, that kind of stuff. It was sure. pretty you yeah. know, empty. Yeah. And, and I just really always felt like I didn't belong there. And so I would say that instinct both drove me to try to be more successful and more diligent in my choices, but also at the same time, it's very discouraging Yeah. because I just always felt like, well, it's, you know, successful people don't look like me. They don't come from where I come from. And so I was always kind of pulled in sort of two directions of like, do, you know, do I want to be a successful person or what does it matter? You know, and that's kind of been a weird sort of sub theme. Uh, but yes, I pulled myself out, uh, went to school, uh, worked, then came back to West Michigan after traveling around for a bit, worked in uh, television there. I worked at Fox 17, uh, back in the 90s. Um, and it was through a relationship with, with a friend uh, that I was introduced to the gospel in the most genuine way I could imagine. And it, it just all, everything fell fell down. I fell to my knees and surrendered my life to Christ on my 30th birthday. August right on 20th, their birthday, 19th. right on the birthday, right? Right on the birthday night. Yeah, yeah, totally. Isn't and that's, that, that was all that was weaved into my story, uh, how God did that. He planted that seed in there early. But yeah, it was total surrender to Christ on my 30th birthday. Wow, wow. And then along the way, you met a young lady named Alicia. Yeah, yeah. Shortly after that, I had uh, I was discipled pretty intentionally, mm-hmm. and began to sense this call towards ministry. But I was like, well, I mean, it's great, but it'd be you know better if I had a partner, you know, someone that was that sure. at least you know had more more uh, roots in, in the faith. And God introduced me through a blind date uh, to this amazing you know woman. And I remember asking her on our third date, like, why are you still single? You know. Yeah. Uh, and she wasn't for long. We got married 10 months after that first blind date. And uh, Lisha's a great, great partner in life, child raising children, and of course, in ministry. It's just, I can't ask for better. Yeah. Well, she's, every one of our kids, we have 12 kids, as many of your the viewers will know, uh, but she's our third born. And when you look in your dictionary for strong-willed child, you see her picture. I, I'm joking, yeah. of course, but she... She is, but you know, strong-willed is leadership, just maybe taking a, a notch or two too far. And yeah. she's an amazing person, follower of Christ, loves the Lord, and uh, we're just so proud of, of her, but certainly of you, and love your five kids. 
Yeah. Unique. No, her Huge gifting unique. has served us well as we've yep. done ministry together. We've moved across the country uh, twice. Yeah. We've had we had five kids inside of six years. And, uh, you know, there's everyone else, nobody who can handle that, but Alicia. Really. That's true. No, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, you're, yep. and you're a great, uh, great leader of that home and uh, proud of you in the ministry that you're in, but let, let's transition to, to where we are as a nation. Um, yeah. you don't need to even watch much news these days and, and just get a sense that man, such div- divisiveness in our country and mm-hmm. just, a just a real sense of where in the world is this heading? And, you know, as a parent, especially of kids, I mean, a concern about, you know, the, again, the, the, all the COVID things that we've been running into. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so w- what do you see God is trying to say to his body, the church in America? Yeah. I mean, just before I, before you turn loose here, um, you know, if you look at China, you look at Iran, you look at some of these other nations where Christians are being persecuted, even though they're under incredible pressure, there's a, there's a degree of life there. They seem to be growing and, and, and yeah. uniting. But in America, we've had freedom for decades, for centuries, really. Yeah. And yet we're just kind of lackadaisical. We've been in decline. Churches are closing mm. their doors. And so what, what do you say? What do you what do you sense the Lord is, is wanting to say to, to us? He loves us. But what is he trying to yeah. say to us? Well, I would I would first go back to my my background, okay. you know, growing up in, in kind of inner city poverty. Right. Um, I remember my first sort of exposure to politics was there was a guy and a, a couple of people that came into our neighborhood wearing suits and they were walking around the neighborhood and, you know, meeting and greeting and, and kissing babies and all that stuff. And I remember like asking my mom, like, what are they doing? And she said, oh, those are uh, politicians. They come around every couple of years and they're really smiley and they promise a lot of stuff. Uh, and then you never see them again, you know, and, and it really doesn't matter. I remember saying for sure, like, it really doesn't matter who gets elected. Nothing's ever going to change mm-hmm. for us, okay. you know. Yeah. And so that that kind of always flavored my my understanding of politics up until I got to a place of like, okay, now I'm actually buying my own homes and having a family and, mm-hmm. and you know, more invested in the community sure. that uh, that I live in. And so then I, I couldn't just live on that complacency of, well, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to pay more attention to it. So, uh, but I would say one thing that I see uh, in the church and certainly in, in America as a whole is a tendency towards political idolatry. Hmm. Political idolatry is like the idea that that somehow government is going to be the god that's going to fix everything. And again, yeah. growing up on on public assistance, you know, I can see how that mindset kind of sets in quickly. Like if the government doesn't give us, then we don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely see that even on on people that don't live on in that kind of status. This idea that government is is like an idol. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about uh, Acts. 17, you know, Paul at the Areopagus, where he, you know, he's, he says to the people, you know, look, I can see how extremely religious you are. Right. Um, and, and I think we see that again, even outside the church, there's a, there's a religion, there's a, uh, there's doctrine in the wind in a sense, and there's this following towards this future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think most people in the U S you know, they envision a, a United States that's, you know, prosperous and just and merciful and, 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 you know, it's cleansed itself of racial tension and violence. And, and, you know, they're pushing towards that in a very religious, with a religious fervor, mm-hmm. but it's to a God they don't even know. And that's what I think is interesting with Paul. It's like, you know, I see all these statues, these representations of, of these gods, these favors you desire, but it's to a God you can't even identify. Mm-hmm. You don't know him. Yeah. And that's because the God, the idol of the people 
is a personless force, a, a progression, a future that, again, we can't, we can't grasp it. We can't touch it. Many times can't even identify it. But so many people are lining themselves up towards that idol, towards that idolatry. And that, that's one thing that I see a lot in our culture right now. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you look to government to being the ultimate um, giver of good and controller instead of God, I mean, basically yeah. it's man organized and then in a position to provide, you know, this sort of leadership and governance and control, if you will, over the population. But mm -hmm. it's man versus God. I mean, there are good there are some good kings like in the Old Testament. Sure. And they, like Hezekiah and others, they would bow down. They they realized that above them was God. Uh, again, there's been times in history where the, 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 the expression was the king can do no wrong. Mm -hmm. The king makes the laws. It's a government of people rather than the government of, of laws that are over everyone. And then over that are basically God's law. I mean, that's the way that the, that the, the American, English, American legal system was formed again, my background is law and so on, yeah. was that ultimately it looked to the Ten Commandments and then out of that grew man's laws that have to, to parallel or go along with, with God. But ultimately, we all report to God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've shared this, I think, before, maybe even on this podcast, but I'll, I'll do it quickly once again. I, I'm, my background is Dutch, and I don't like to waste money as such. Okay, just for the record. But there was a, a, a t at least a, a little twinge of delight that I got when I would get a parking ticket, even mm. as a judge. I didn't like to you know, give the five, 10, whatever it was, $20. But there was something that felt good about me, even though I'm a judge, being under the law. Okay. But we've lost that. It's now where, where man gets in that position to make the laws and dictate what he believes or she believes is right and wrong, and that's where we begin to lose liberty. Mm -hmm. So again, maybe I'm getting a little a, a, a field from where you were going with your thought, but to no, me- I think, I think yeah. you're right. I mean, yeah. you're, you're reminded that often, uh, and you'll notice this in the news whenever there's a tragedy or, yeah. or, or trial of any kind, whether it's you know a, a mass shooting or, or, or natural disaster, okay? The tendency is to, hey, we need to see what laws we can pass to ensure yeah. that that doesn't happen again. Exactly. And, and that's just the instinct of the people right now. Like, all right, let's, this thing happens. What laws do we need to, who's first of all accountable and then what laws do we need to pass so that it doesn't happen again? It's Def even true with like natural disaster, more right. laws about, yep. hey, we need to over the ledge. And the problem is, you know, we're starting to unbind ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, with all these, these laws that are in intended to keep us free and happy and healthy. Right. But in the end, they're, just, they're crowding us over. And so that's right. what I mean, you know, in terms of this political idolatry, yeah. you know, the so, idea is that, that yeah. through laws and stuff, we can get to this utopia. So again, if, if God could come and speak either to our leaders of our churches, our pastors, well, let's just yeah. go there. If you, if you were able to communicate to every a uh, true follower of Christ, pastor in America. Yeah. What would you like to say? What would you sense that God would like to say to these pastors? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I this is an area that I'm, I'm not necessarily always, you know, uh, versed in. I, I love street evangelism. I love to mm. get to know my neighbors. But I would say the, the first reminder, and this helps me a lot, it gives me a sense of peace, is to remember that we are, as followers of Christ, we're first citizens 
of God's kingdom. I love it. And then from that position, that assurance, that safety, we are to seek the welfare of the nation that we live in. You know, I think about uh, Ephesians 2, 19, that, that says, hey, we're no longer strangers or aliens. In other words, we're not disconnected or aliens. And I know a little bit about that from, you know, my family sure, story. Sure. We're not second class people anymore, right? But instead, he says, Paul says, we're citizens. We are citizens along with the saints, Okay, so that means our passport uh, is actually in God's kingdom, Mm. and our fellow citizens are not only our brothers and sisters here, but even the saints, if you imagine that. That's really Uh, good. But then we're also, he says, members of the household of God, Mm. members of the household. We're citizens of this, along with the saints and members of the household of God. So again, that means that our primary identity, the passport that we carry, should be stamped by our allegiance to God's kingdom first, and then our connection uh, to the church, which is really God's mission outpost here in the place that he's called us to. And we, Mm -hmm. who are our fortunate enough to call uh, the United States of America our home. Mm-hmm. It's also our mission field. That's and so, good. Um, yeah. So I would say, you know, uh, and maybe the other one is to resist. And I'm starting to see this with people that are more um, you know, in the church or maybe more conservative even. Uh, we have to resist political complacency. It is like my mom used to say, but in a different way, where now I think many Christians and church leaders kind of feel like, oh, it doesn't really matter. The tide of, of culture is too strong for us to change. Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't matter. I'm not going to lend my voice into particular issues because I don't want to offend anyone. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to continue to advocate for yeah. values uh You know, as we pray, certainly, first of all, for our nation, for our leaders, and then work so that God's kingdom can be here on earth as it already is in heaven, right? So we're calling on, may the kingdom be here now as it's already being written and prepared for us in heaven. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of Christians just say, well, public policy is just so evil. We shouldn't even get close to it. So what I do, I break it down and say, so what what if there's an intersection near your home? And there's no stoplights and no stop signs. And it's just, and there's accidents and people are injured. Some people die every year. So what you do is you go to the, the, your road commission or the, the county commission, whatever it is, and you, you help them install a, a stoplight at this intersection. And the number of injuries and deaths greatly gets reduced. Is that a good thing? To, well, of course, that's, that's a loving, good public policy is loving your neighbor. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's getting, you know, principles at work that, that help your neighbor. Yeah, it's public policy, but that's, that's one way to show love to your neighbor. Yeah. And then you can just, you know, escalate that. You know, laws about abortion, unborn sure. children. Should we not work toward that? Of course we should. And again, yeah. we do it in a loving way. We don't threaten people. And, and I mean, there's a lot of that going on today where you're just so divisive. We're, we're to do it in love. We're to, yeah. to draw people like you do. You're an evangelist. You don't hammer people over the head with a family Bible. You're going to, ha-, you know, this sort of thing. But you yeah. draw them to the truth. And that's how you're to engage as followers of Christ in public policy, to advocate yeah. by loving people, even the those legislators that maybe are way off on another planet, you might say, from you, but you still try to draw them a little bit closer to the truth. 
Yeah, that's what yeah, again, I'm, I was saying citizen of, of God's kingdom first, not in a complacent way, right? Oh, no, no, permission. Totally. Yeah. I'm going to heaven. And so, you yep. know, forget it. The world can burn. That is not the posture at all, right? Where our citizenship is in heaven yes. and we're members of God's household. That's the peace that we operate out of yep. as we serve with grace and truth. Now, here's a, a practical. Let me try to take it out of a theory for a second. And, yeah. uh, you know, we have five, five kids, yep. uh, 16 to 10 years old. And so we have two in high school, two in middle school, one uh, finishing up elementary. Mm-hmm. And in the elementary school, uh, the teacher sent out uh, a, a note saying they wanted to start, you know, addressing some social justice concerns mm. that children themselves had, you know, said they wanted to deal with. And so we looked at the list uh, of social justice issues that the public school teacher wanted to address. And I thought, I mean, I've got a fifth grader. I've had four other fifth graders before that. There's no way that some of these issues are on his mind. He's he's really just thinking about when can I get a chance to play a video game, and, you know, and hang out with my friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so it was a lot of, you know, current kind of cultural issues. One of them in particular was on gender and the idea that, uh, hey, we can teach these fifth graders you know, uh, to be respectful of people's gender pronouns and preferences and stuff. And I was like, oh, look, I, I get it in terms of, uh, you know, how can we be respectful to someone who, you know, wants to be called something different than they are? Okay, I have a wrestle with that, but okay, maybe an accommodation there. But how do you teach kids about the mm-hmm. multitude of gender potentials without them thinking it's okay and maybe it's okay for me? Yeah. You know, it's kind yeah. of an indoctrination. So so I had to struggle with that because, I mean, sure. obviously I try to get to know the teachers and faculty in a way that that encourages them to seek Christ and the light of Christ and see him in me. Yeah. But now I've got a problem because I'm like, I need to challenge this, mm-hmm. but I need to challenge it in a way that doesn't disrupt that you know, potential for witness, right? So that's my balance, right? Yeah. So I, I began to, I res- sent several respectful letters to the teacher to kind of clarify their, you know, uh, their sense of why they're doing this and how they're doing it. And now I'm talking to other parents. And I actually feel that through my advocacy that on this issue, and it's been pretty gentle, I'm actually getting to know even more parents now who want to have this conversation about, boy, this the world just seems like it's really mm. throwing a lot at young kids and kind of disorienting their thinking how can we we stay on truth? How can we stay on appropriate messages for kids? And and so actually God is using it to open some doors, uh, literally into neighbors' homes that, that wouldn't have been opened before. Isn't that awesome? That's just mm-hmm. great, Simon. Well, proud of you for that. that. That's really great. So are you generally optimistic about where things are? Or are you, I mean, a lot of people are just, just totally nervous and upset and just frightened about where things are what what would i mean what, what's your sense where should we be as christ followers today in yeah. light of all the craziness of our culture and government and so on should we be hopeful or should we be pessimistic i mean again as citizens of god's kingdom if that's the metaphor that's the the scripture that sticks for now yeah we know it's going to end well we yeah. know it's going to be bad for us in terms of not just our nation, but in the world, there's going to be that tribulation, that trial. But these are the birth pangs. Yeah. And then eventually, certainly God's kingdom is going to return. Jesus is going to come back and yeah. he's going to give us all the things that that government is trying to promise but can't possibly sustain, which is a peaceful, just yeah. nation that equally serves its people mm-hmm. and everyone's you know loved, uh, gracious. Like, it'll never have that without God returning. And so we know it's going to work out. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So out of the security of that, promise and assurance that it's going to be okay. I think hopefully that enlivens the spirit, not discourages the spirit. Yeah. 
But when you think of birth pangs, you know, I, I think about, you know, as a pastor, I work with, you know, uh, sometimes people that are in terminal situations, mm. you know, where, mm. you know, someone's you know, sick and they have cancer and, and you know, and, yeah. and the end is near. Now, you can you can people go about this two ways. There's there's both the way of, of terminality where they're like, oh, I'm, I'm scared, I'm nervous. And then we work on, you know, assuring yep. them in Christ. Yep. But then I've also seen people that who have been terminal that their worship has expanded, their, their pre- this presence of God over them has been expanded as they walk to that door of death. It's pretty amazing. Yes. So I'm saying that what what if, okay, we know the American experiment, it's not the kingdom of God. That's it right. should never be equated with the kingdom of God. We know at some point, like our physical bodies, it's probably terminal. Is this the season? I, I pray not, because I mean, I've got kids that would love to grow and hopefully have fruitful lives. But I pray in faith, knowing that God ultimately wins the story, and we continue to pray just like we would for a sick person, for healing in their heart, mind, and soul, and body, the flesh, so that they, you know, God's kingdom continue to be sown. So I'm, I'm very confident in some way that God's going to continue to give us more time mm-hmm. to reach more people. I think he's going to do amazing things. But I also am eye in the sky waiting for Jesus to come back and fix everything. Amen. And that's not bad. That, that's good. I like that. You know, I was thinking of a scripture Remember uh, the, uh, the, the Jewish, the, the folks from Judea uh, were captured by the Babylonians, brought to Babylon for 70 years. And, uh, you know, there you are, there's very un, it certainly wasn't Christian, but uh, certainly not God-centered culture at all. And uh, God spoke through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, to those folks. And he said, seek the peace and prosperity of the city which it, to which I've placed you. Mm. Pray to the Lord for it. Yeah. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And they think, whoa, really? We're supposed to pray for this wicked... Co-? And so we need to, and again, that's very consistent, isn't it, with First uh, Timothy chapter 2, we're to pray mm-hmm. for those in authority. Yeah. So that's one thing we, we're supposed to do. Not just get mad at, you know, this president and these all these people aren't going the wrong but to pray for them they are our leaders god is sovereign and they are our leaders and we need to pray for them because if our nation prospers we are kind of like on the same ship of the titanic you know if it hits the iceberg we all go down sort of thing and so we need to pray for them but then as you say we need to work to spread the gospel like you know you do through evangelism and get people to come to faith Mm-hmm. It wouldn't it be great if we had a revival and a spiritual awakening that, like we've That'd had awesome. in the history of America, that sure. just millions of people came to faith and our culture begins to change? To me, you know, government is a reflection of our culture, and our culture mm-hmm. is a reflection of the health of the church, how yeah. effective we are to be salt and light. And so, to me, the real message needs to be us to, to be the salt and light, to love God, love our neighbor and do whatever he calls us to do by his spirit. Yeah. And, uh, and you're doing that, and that's why I'm thankful for you and, and oh. uh, thankful for others that, that are not giving up, but they're yeah. just saying, God, what do you want me to do today? And then do it through me for yeah. your glory. Well, I, I don't want to creep you out, uh, and if you can tell me if this is inappropriate. I feel like God actually uh, often reveals to me through the kind of visions, they're usually actually sure. dreams because oh, I'm that's normally great. Go for it. I always have to test them out because sometimes I'm like, is it just the tacos that I ate that night or is this really like a profound <laughs> sure. you know, vision? And I've had a couple, but one one was, was very uh, powerful to me. And it was some time ago, uh, maybe a little over a year ago, literally a year and a half. 
and I was uh, in the in the city setting and all around me was chaos and people were weeping in the streets and it was very dark and gray. Wow. And I remember looking up and I, and I saw on a flagpole, the American flag, and it was on fire. Mm. And it was it was it was incredible. And people were just weeping and like it just it, I mean, it felt like, uh, you know, like the Capitol building was was in chaos and kind of like the riots that we saw, you know, not long sure, ago, which, sure, which was just sure. and we saw those many times in many cities, yeah. not, not just in our own capital. Right. right. But yeah. it was something along those lines. But there was this dome and it kind of reminded me of the, the chapel that's up in Mackinac Island. There's that kind of dome church thing that's there, sure. that little structure you can go into. Sure, it sure. was something like that. Right. Okay. And there was this warm fire there and it was, it was like the church and it was, a, I knew it was a safe place. Wow. So I came in and I saw people were there and they were praying and it was a place of peace and the fires in the middle. And, but for my, my tendency, I ran out and I was calling people and trying to grab them by the hand to get them into this place of the church for peace. And so that I woke up and I was like, well, that was really frightening because it was very, uh, you know, very much like a 3D kind of experience wow. dream. Um, and I just, you know, took from that, again, the, the the simple but powerful command to always remain as a missionary uh, in this culture. And so what I walked away with that from what I, what I walked away from that dream was this idea that, okay, let's say Let's say you're a missionary, and and we should be thinking that way, okay? We should. And you get your missionaries training, and then you're sent off to a field. And if you're you're one of those you know really cool missionaries, you get to go off to some you know uh, you know kind of uh, third world type experience, and you got to learn the culture and the language, and you know still try to serve the gospel. And and man, I just am so uh, uh, envious of people like that. But that's really who we are. Like I feel like God. What if He plunked me down in this America at this time with all of this chaos going on around me, and said, I want you to learn how to speak the language, serve the people, and minister the gospel. I love it. And so that's how I've operated. Whether COVID came up or political strife or this election, that election, okay, I'm in this space at this time, Lord. How do I continue to minister to the gospel in the in the cultural setting that God has placed me? And that, that's the motive that drives me all the time. How do I serve as a missionary where I am? I love it. That is so good. And that's what all of us need to be doing. There are so many hungry people that do not know Jesus around us. Mm -hmm. uh, on our website, grandawakening.com, I mean, we have a, a, a thing you can go to downloads. It's just an evangelism card. It's not perfect, but it's, it's like when you go fishing, you want to have some bait. It's a bait. It can show people. We've used it so many times, Marcia and I, my wife, and, yeah. and we've seen people pray to receive Christ as a result of that. And then it talks about how to grow. It's very simple, but it it's, it's, can be helpful. But we all need to be. So many American yeah. Christians have never shared their faith with anyone. Right. And that needs to change. Would you not agree? Yeah. Well, if it didn't, if the, the friend who uh, uh, witnessed to me didn't, I wouldn't be here. That's exactly know? right. Yeah, I'd be dead in my sin for yep. sure, and probably yep. actually physically dead. Yeah, so. no, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah. Getting back, you know, I guess you know. Again, the topic is what is God saying to the church today? Yeah, and I totally agree with you. I think as Christians, we need to pray for our leaders in all times. Yep. And sometimes that's easier to do than others. When hey, when your team is winning or whatever, you feel like oh, it's easier to pray for your leader than you know when it's not. But yeah. I think we need to pray for our leaders at all times, lifting them up. Uh, for the wisdom of God to even fall over them, whether they confess, you know, Christ or, or not. And I think, you know, for the, for the most part, most of our, our at least top presidential leaders would say, you know, they, they know the Lord. Okay, great. Uh, the second one I would say is model, uh, a, a li living, model living a better story 
and especially in our marriages mm. and in our family. Amen. Okay? Amen. So one of the ways that I can sort of, in a sense, uh, combat uh, the the gender confusion that maybe my kids are going to start to experience in their schools is to show them what an what it is to be an honest Christian man. Amen. And for my wife to to you know humbly and proudly represent what it is to be a godly woman, yes. right? And to show them that's actually a better story than living kind of some ambiguous, mm. you know, uh, marriage or, or a broken marriage. And so Good. I just say, you know, you know, you got to live a better story so that yes. the world looks and go, okay, that that's actually good. That's actually good. And I'd say the other one is uh, against complacency, be an advocate for the values and virtues, first of all, that clearly align with scripture. Yep. And that's the reason that probably in the gender issue, that one kind of got me, uh, you know, up a little bit more because what we know about creation, God created, yes, he's the one who created it all. And he created them how? Male Male, and female. And he created marriage between a male and a female. That's it. Right. Yes. Right. So I'm going to humbly, but confidently, advocate for that value and that virtue because it clearly aligns with scripture. Uh, And, and, you know, and and again, that sense, I I feel fully confident in kind of driving into that one. And then the last one is, uh, you know, just to point others towards the peace that is found only in Christ. Uh, You just got to keep pointing people in that direction. I don't always have the opportunity to lead everyone I know to Christ, but I certainly want to at least keep pointing them towards the grace of Christ. They say it can take uh, what, five, six, seven people, to talk to someone before they actually make a commitment. You might be number two or three or four or whatever it is. So that's oh, fine. I can't, I, can, I can't tell you. And I, I, I've actually thought about it a few times, how many people tried to witness to me that failed. Oh, uh, yeah, people. sure. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so good. Well, yeah. Simon, thank you for meeting with us. Why don't you uh, close us in prayer, would you? And pray yeah, for I'd some of these you. things that we've been talking about. Go right ahead. Well, Father, we thank you, first of all. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to rejoice in the Lord always. And we would say it again, rejoice, put on a fresh joy. And Lord, would you let our gentleness be evident to all because we know the Lord is near. Father, I I pray for anyone who can hear my voice right now, who's anxious and fearful and discouraged because the word tells us, do not be anxious about anything. That's right. But in every situation with prayer and petition, even with thanksgiving, presenting your request to God. And God, with that thanksgiving, we thank you for our nation. Amen. We thank you for its heritage. We thank you for its promise. We thank you for its provision. We thank you, Lord, that you have favored this nation so well mm. over the many centuries that it has been. And Lord, I think you're not done. I think yes. our greatest days are still ahead. Lord, let this be a beacon of your peace. Amen. And may the peace of God, which transcends everything we can understand, guard our hearts and our minds always in Christ Jesus. Mm. Come, Lord Jesus, return. Return first to our hearts, then to our world. In your name, amen. 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 Simon, thank you so much. Great being with you. God bless you. You too, bud. Love you a lot.